All righty, welcome to the AITJ podcast. My name is Sasha Kadaryu, and I will be your host today. Uh, a little bit about me, I'm currently pursuing a master's in bioethics at King's College in London, where I am researching the dynamics of health-related mis- and disinformation as it pertains to surveillance capitalism and the commodification of behavioral data surplus. On the other hand, uh, my work at AITJ has primarily involved um, content creation, uh, namely surrounding the development of exponential technologies, as well as various issues in AI ethics and regulation. I personally have a deep-seated passion for responsible innovation, especially with respect to AI and sustainability. And uh, honestly, I would like nothing more than to use the skills that I have to make the world a better place. So for today's episode, we're going to be talking about AI for business. And uh, on that note, allow me to introduce our guest, Jared Teo. Welcome, Jared. Jared is currently Hello. the Chief Data Scientist at Direct Sourcing Solutions, where his work is aimed at providing innovative machine learning driven solutions tailored to individual business needs. Jared has extensive experience analyzing big data. He's proficient in multiple programming languages and is especially skilled in predictive analytics and statistical modeling techniques. However, Jared has not restricted himself to a lab life. He has several more years of experience as a data science mentor and speaker and currently holds a position with us as an AITJ ambassador. Thank you so much for coming today, Jared. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to add before we begin? Well, uh, I'm happy to actually be um, the, the uh, talk of this interview. Uh, I hope to actually answer as much as questions that you have and maybe to show some uh, coding as well. Oh, cool. As an example of why I actually say that I put practicality as well in terms of using theory to actually answer questions. Mm -hmm. So it's always about balancing the two, theory and practicality of usage. Uh, because it is... Uh, it is a lifelong journey to be a data scientist. Um, uh, somewhere around the road, I'm, yeah, I'm, obsessed, I'm obsessed with tools initially, but somewhere around the, the road, the, there was actually this uh, CMO, Chief uh, Marketing Officer, that asked me this question, Jared, you write good codes, but do you think your codes can sell? <laughs> yeah, they, they are business people. We must yeah. agree with that. Yeah, now the gap between the industry is that we have one side to be the data people, we have one side to the business people, but there must be a bridge between these two in order for the data science project to work. Yeah, that's actually the, the point that I'm going to actually share a lot during this interview. Yeah. So yeah, I guess on, on that note, um, how, how would you say, what, what is the best way to build that bridge? I mean, what kind of people, um, do you need and what kind of skills would those people need to have in order to be able to build that bridge and allow businesses to communicate with data scientists and, and become more data driven? Okay, this is a good question. How do we build a bridge? The bridge lies with the data scientists, right? So how do you actually go about explaining things to business people is really very important, right? So instead of saying that linear regression is actually a statistical model that actually uses y by max plus c, that actually uses a b coefficient with actually the p-value to decide which uh, predictor is actually important, by also to look at dummy coding. Well, somewhere down the road, the <laughs> business person will say, are you going to teach me lecture? So the whole uh, presentation become a lecture instead of a proper direction giving of what they are going to actually do. Instead of saying that, why not actually say something like a linear regression is actually a method 
whereby you put various business factor to actually see which customers actually have uh, uh, more spending or less spending in the next month. Mm. Then it, it, it brings that excitement of bringing the business people to the table and say, okay, so we are putting in business factor. So what are the business factors are you going to put in? And of course, then the data scientist should have actually prepared this with the data master, right? Mm. Whoever that is in charge of the database or he himself should actually know what is in the database itself. Uh, what is the uh, what is the columns that is inside? How many missing values are there? And then decide which are the business factor that they want to actually put inside that machine learning model. And sometimes problems are actually not solved by using machine learning model. Yeah. They could actually be solved using a statistical method. For example, I actually met um, uh, uh, someone who said that uh, Jared, I want to actually grow my 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 vegetables well. It sounds weird. It grows my vegetables well. But then that's actually a statistical cost. So that statistical cost itself, uh, 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 when I actually ask some of the fellow young data scientists, I say, well, you should leave it to the farmers to actually decide. The farmer will actually have the best idea of how to grow the vegetable well. Yeah. But then when I tell them that this is a national chemist from a government agency, the, the data scientist was like, whoa, that is an excitement. It's not actually just a, a simple answer. You say, well, I change your perspective. Then, then how do I do that? I don't actually jump into a machine learning model. I was asking that the chemist, uh, so how many methods do you have? Then the chemist was saying, oh, I have three methods. They said, oh, then I was asking them, are three methods independent of each other? Like three different methods? Yeah, three different methods. Then I asked them, do you have aging of the plants that you put in the three methods? They said, yeah, there's actually aging of the plants in the three different methods. We use different uh, pesticide or whatever in the three methods. We are very interested to know uh, what are the three methods out of the three, which one is the strongest to actually keep the plants alive. Then I was telling the chemists, uh, so it's actually ANOVA, uh, so we look at the HOV, homogeneity of variance, and then mm -hmm. we look at uh, the test of the overall average, then post hoc, then either look at parametric, non-parametric, and also look at uh, maybe say LSD or James Howell or some other post hoc test itself. Then he was saying, what are you talking about? I said, in short, we're going to actually see which of the method keeps your plants alive. Yeah. The longest aging time which of the methods does keep your plants alive? They say, oh, then that I understand what you're talking about, right? So one is actually technical view. One is actually practical view or layman view. So uh, a, a skilled data scientist somewhere down the road must learn to actually ditch all the jargons and then explain things in a very human way. Okay, yeah. so it's basically this ability to kind of operationalize explanations in a way that are context relevant. Um, yes, context relevant, something which they can explain to the entire group of stakeholders themselves and then bring you into the picture and say, oh, look, this is the expert who can actually solve my vegetable growing problem. I mean, we, we as vendor or we as data scientists, we, we might not be the first person to speak at the stakeholder table. It is represented by someone who is interested to, to, to engage us as a service, right? So, so even in organization as well, we, we don't speak directly to the stakeholders or the investors, right? It is always the CEO or the C-level person 
who represent you. But if you can't speak in a human language, there's no selling point of view. They, they won't be able to actually tell the investor, we need this amount of money, billion dollars of amount of money, to actually support a project that will actually happen by Jared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so then, then it makes sense for the investor to invest. Then that's actually where the human language comes to reach the data scientist point of the business group and the stakeholders. And then this is supported by the data itself. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So, okay, interesting. So kind of going, going off of that note then, is there, when, when you're implementing, I guess, an AI-driven um, solution or machine learning or, or even a statistical modeling-driven solution, um, based on your communication with you know, relevant stakeholders uh, or investors in that respective business, um, how malleable do you need to be in your mindset with the kinds of you know, solutions and plans that you provide? I mean, is there a certain level of flexibility that you need to have as a data scientist or or can you kind of be a bit more concrete um, in the way that you, you know, present your solutions um, and implement them? Yeah. So can I share my screen? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm just going to show something on um, maybe say examples how I actually show um, how the solution work to customers, right? So this is actually a customer movement from six months ago, three months ago, previous month, and then the current month itself. Okay? So what happened is that I will tell the business people or the one that is going to present me to the investor, I said that six months ago, this group of the customers are princess, which is actually a premium customer, 2,270 of them. And then we see that at the current month itself, at risk of going to competitor, high paying customer, who have 1,184 okay? So easily he can actually just download the data, show data and download the data, and then pass it to the marketing team and say that, please do some marketing campaign for these customers who were formerly our premium customer, and then do something about them, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. then you can see that this actually acts as an immediate insight picture to the stakeholder and say, oh, okay, so Jared's solution is able to find for me my former premium high paying customers. And then now they are leaving the, 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 uh, the company. There are 1,184 of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what if I tell you that in this dashboard itself, we have at least four machine learning models inside. Interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So if I were to show you the back end of it, I think any stakeholders will just actually look at it and say, how do you actually implement this one? So this is the entire workflow itself. Yeah. So the entire workflow I run it, it actually run within two minutes and 34 seconds. Wow. So the entire workflow actually comes in at a data extraction. There are multiple files inside. It goes into multiple models. The models not only score the models, also self-led, which means it's self-built based on the current situation in the market. What is the product that is available? They were actually self-built, self-learned based on the new data that actually comes in the picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this tells me that even if I know that this customer that is actually, let's say that I am not interested in looking at this, that my client always looking at this, that is they are looking at corners, 
who were actually high payers, right? Because they want to actually attract these customers back. Yeah, honest, high spender. Of course, then his favorite tab is this one and say, oh, so who, what do I sell to my bonus high spender? And then I say, oh, we'll sell them face masks, maybe. Face masks only come up recently because of COVID and, and, and things like that. They are a luxury brand. So these are actually some of the products that they can actually sell to the customer. The first recommended product, second, third, and fourth. Sorry about this one. Let me just uh, put it back. Okay. So first, second, third, and fourth product. And then fifth and sixth is just behind. All right. So why high is because these are the high chance that the customers have a probability of taking it up. So yes, data science needs probability <laughs> and statistics. That's, so you yeah. see, this, this actually gives an insight that is so pictorial that immediately the stakeholders know what to do. Mm -hmm. What are the products to sell to the customers, right? Based on the profile of the customers. And, and, and not only that, that is if my client wants to represent me to the stakeholders, they can easily explain to the stakeholders what I am trying to do with the data itself. Not actually say, oh, I'll actually just do deep learning, a neural network, and all those bombastic uh, jargons, yeah. which um, most of the stakeholders have oversold on the market. They'll just say, well, I don't know what's this, but then if they show, if they are shown this, that is corners, high spenders, we have 2,921 people at the moment, and then we can target this group with what kind of product, where can we target them, and all those information, they can easily set this up on the next month campaign itself. Cool? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's, that actually provides a, a perfect segue into the, into the following question I had for you. It was, it was, I was just wondering if you could speak maybe a little bit more about uh, the importance of statistics and probability um, in data science as a discipline, uh, in, in the ability to kind of derive concrete solutions to problems, um, and also target your methods in the way that you were, you were just talking about. Yeah. So as actually has shown to you, that is, I was actually talking about probability insight. So. Mm -hmm. So there's a high chance, low chance, and, and all those things. All these machine learning models that you see at the dashboard at the moment, they are run by statistics. You can't escape from that. Yeah. Yeah. So so literally, if you want to be a data scientist, you need statistics. Yeah. Cannot escape. Now, then this is actually another question that stakeholders will ask you. Okay. They will say, so yes, your machine learning models can work. I love it. We can implement. But can you tell me? What is the result that we will see? Yeah, how much can you promise me that you will earn? Yeah, simple as that. So this is actually something that I measure on a quarterly basis. So you can see, I tagged them in December 2019. I see their next three months earning, and I actually match a premium customer with a random customer. Mm -hmm. So you can see, the premium customers are earning are spending this much, the random customers are spending this much. This is the earning by the company, by the way. So I'm actually saying the premium customers out earn the random chosen customer. So this is 5K sample, this is 5K sample customer. So I'm just trying to say that even before the marketing team actually sets out a campaign, they have the confidence to know that the customers are bound to spend. If I say that they are actually at risk, 
they are sitting on the bench. If I say that they are corners, they are actually spending less than randomly selected customers. So this tells the marketing people, even if, if even before they set a marketing campaign, they already can have the confidence that the machine learning model can tell them how much the customers are bound to spend. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. I tell you something that is even more creepy on this itself. Now, if you actually notice, this is April, it's going up. This is April, it's going way up here. Mm -hmm. Why is this so? It's because during this time, the lockdown of the country actually got loosened a bit. So from April and then next three months spending of May, June, July, the customers actually get to walk about and spend. So that's why you see a huge gap here in terms of, of spending. <laughs> yeah. So my model actually goes into the lockdown um, follow. It actually follows the lockdown of the country as well. I didn't put this in. The model actually self-learned and actually know about this one. Now, so, can the model work that is pre-COVID to COVID? So this is actually December 2019, which is way around that when the COVID just about to happen. But the, the data actually, are, the model is built on data that is pre-COVID, which is December 2019 and past two years. Now, the, the, the problem is a lot of people on LinkedIn say, because people's financial change, so the model is not going to work. But I did prove that the model still works even into COVID, April 2020. You mm -hmm. see that? Yeah. This kind of model is very hard to build because it really, it really looked into the various aspects of the modeling itself to actually come up with a solution like that. And one more thing that is, you see that August is supposed to drop down, right? December. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that August here, it increased here, right? Why is this so that the December 2021, it suddenly have a rebound here into this amount? It's because December 2021, 2nd December is where the country stops the lockdown and the people is free to walk about again. Yeah. So my, my CEO say literally is getting creepy because Jared, how can you actually do a model like that? I said, I can, yeah. Even the buyer profiler, right? This is high spender. You can see the high spender is actually spending way higher than the random. When I say that they don't spend, they don't spend. When I say that they spend, they spend. Yeah. yeah? And for this one, next product to purchase, it is actually exactly the same. When I say that they have high chance, they have high chance. When I say that they have low chance, they have low chance. And then another thing is on the second product, why is there actually such a huge amount here? Is because the country is going into winter. Right, so the customers actually we've able to walk around, plus going into winter. That's why you actually see such a high difference between a high and low chance because the people here are recommended jackets, yeah, jackets, winter clothes, and all those things. That's where they are able to actually spend so much, and given the fact that they can actually walk about. So this tells us that the model not only. Um, uh, uh, share during model uh, performance phase that um, uh, the model can work. But it also shares that after model being deployed, it still works. Yeah, so, so, so the, the point about being a data scientist is difficult is because when you're building a model, yes, 75% or 
or 85% accuracy, overall accuracy confusion matrix shows that uh, you know, uh, observed versus predicted, observed versus predicted is 75% or 85%. That's nice. But then, when you go into deployment, you must hold your promise of the accuracy there. Hmm. That's difficult. Yeah, and that is very scary as well. When you are trying to launch your model pre-COVID into COVID, that is even scarier. But I have an um, I have an experience last time because I was actually launching my model during the Thai protest period, mm -hmm. before Thai protest period, and then I built data based on before Thai protest period. And during Thai protest period, where they take over the country and all those things, uh, I'm still able to actually get money back for the company. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I, my friends jokingly call and say, Jared, they're basically a catastrophic data scientist, uh, a new <laughs> That's a new job title right there, right? Catastrophic yeah, catastrophic. Data scientist. <laughs> you are able to actually take on very weird projects, which other data, data scientists don't dare to take up. Not only that, Jared, you start with no data, no hardware, no software, no server, nothing. Ground zero, literally pen and paper. And yet you can come up with model like that. That's yeah. why my CEO say that you're creepy because Jared, you're not in the country, but you know exactly what's going on in the country. And you can even tell my client that which shop to close, which shop to keep, which shop is the flagship. And I even tell, tell the person, they say, why is it that your new purchaser will always be of a, a certain shop? Then recently they tell me why this shop attracts new purchaser is because it's a tourist location. But they asked me the question back as well. How do you know? <laughs> you are not in my country. <laughs> you don't even live here. <laughs> no, it's incredible though, because it, you, you managed to highlight the role that, um, that intuition actually, you know, yeah. human intuition plays uh, in, in building these models and, and allowing them to, you know, make accurate uh, predictions, especially throughout, you know, changing, um, changing conditions of life. So kind of what, what, what that makes me think about um, is, is the importance of data quality as well uh, in, 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 and how you use it in, in these predictive models. And, you know, to the, to the extent that it carries over, uh, you know, different conditions of life, like you said, building this model that managed to make these accurate predictions throughout, you know, the duration of COVID from pre-COVID to COVID. Um, so I guess I'm wondering COVID, COVID to post lockdown. Sorry, yes, yeah. COVID, <laughs> COVID to post lockdown. Um, but yeah, so I guess I guess I'm wondering if if you could speak a little bit more about about the importance of of the actual quality of the data you're using, as well as um, you know whether you have personally ever encountered any issues with uh, algorithmic bias. So like you know having you know training an algorithm on a particular data set and then finding out that uh, that data set is in some way skewed to represent something that that perhaps isn't as representative of reality um, as the data would would hope to be um, is have, have you ever encountered that kind of problem before or is that something you can you can talk a little bit about actually i'm quite lucky in the sense that i don't seems to have that before because we will always work with raw data but we are very careful with it Mm -hmm. um, uh, well, what we have is what we have. That's the raw data, right? Yeah. That's the customer spending in your in your company. We, we can't escape from that. 
So one is actually important to actually avoid that kind of bias is how you actually clean the data itself. Okay. Very important. Yeah. So last time we, we happened to actually have this issue. That is, there's actually this customer that has $100,000 of salary and he is 18 years old and he own a main card. This is a problem already. So the legal age to own a main card is 21 years old. But how can he earn 100K a month, right? So 100K a month, we go and deep dive and look into it because if we don't have a reason for this guy, it's going to skew our model because of this outlier of 100K. Mm -hmm. But to remove this outlier officially with the client, we, we have to find a reason for it. Then we go and actually check, oh, this guy is the son of the Sultan of the country. So that's why he can own a main card at age 18 and he earns 100K, which is actually the pocket money. <laughs> so then, because of this, we, we really have to be very careful not just actually looking into the columns. We have to look at across the column as well in terms of the Delkin itself. Yeah? Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's, um, no, it's very, it's very interesting, honestly. Um, I guess to kind of transition a little bit, um, for you, for you specifically, what, um, what kind of coding languages do you prefer to work in? Or do you think that there are any specific reasons behind, you know, the choices you make to use a particular coding language? Are there, you know, any strengths, um, you know, for using something like Python versus RStudio versus Stata. Because um, I know like, you know, RStudio and Stata tend to be more oriented towards statistical analysis, while, um, you know, R, you can, you can build sophisticated computer vision programs with it. Um, so like, I guess well, I'm wondering, for, for your preferences and for your purposes, especially within the context of, you know, AI-driven solutions for businesses, um, what do you prefer? And, and what would you recommend as well? I mean, what would you, yeah, what would you say is best? I don't want to create an R versus Python war after this interview. <laughs> so I have actually been to SAS versus SPSS war. Okay. It's a very funny war whereby, well, you know, it's the same thing. That is SAS say SAS is best. SPSS say SPSS is the best. I become an SPSS trainer and take on the uh, SPSS side. And well, uh, now it's R versus Python, right? But then the, the thing is, if you say that what R can do, SPSS can't do, or what Python can do, R can't do, yeah. there, there is actually always a pros and cons, strength and weakness of different software itself. But then software are software, they are tools. You, you, there's a hole in, 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 the, in the office. We can't actually say, oh, let's look at different patching method, right? Yeah. The business people are actually looking, so how are you gonna mend the hole in the office, right? So if you actually is obsessed of the two so much, then the actual business problem is not solved. Yeah. But so what you actually know, I, I came across a CV whereby the person actually has 50 software knowledge on his CV, but zero business problem solved before. I didn't hire the guy. I didn't even consider him into interview. I'm so sorry if the guy is listening in this uh, podcast, uh -huh. but then uh, the point is that we, we are out to look at people who can solve business problem. And then it's a sad fact now that industry price on, on this one, and then there are entry people who come in and say, oh, I want to be a data scientist, but then 
uh, uh, I don't have a portfolio for me, and then what do I do? I go and find Titanic data. <laughs> no, it, it well, uh, you can you can go Kaggle. There's there's no wrong in it. You can specialize in a tool. No wrong in it. If you look at my screenshot, if you can look at my, my screen now, I I look at various tools. This is Anaconda. There's actually Python inside. This mm -hmm. is uh, this this uh, Alteris. This is actually Power BI. This is SPSS. Mm -hmm. So so then 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 I, I when I actually look at more than one tool, I actually can understand why certain tool works in a way that I like it to be, right? So I can actually give you an example of SPSS here. You can see that there's not no indent needed, right? There's no indent needed, right? But for Python, you need indent to work. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what if you need to actually put it in the function? Yes. Mm -hmm. And it automatically indent if you have 20 lines of, 20k lines of code inside. <laughs> Can you imagine the, the nightmare of indenting? <laughs> So you can see that uh, uh, um, this is this is my define and define. This is the same as the dash uh, for for Python, right? You can see that I actually have uh, opened the file, I have computed the flag, and then I save the file and then that's it, right? Uh, I will show you in a while what these two codes work basically in in a fun manner on why and emphasize that for coding before you actually start the first line, you must think of the end result, which is can it make money? That's very important. Yeah. So, so for the different tools, I will just say that SPSS have a certain strength and weakness that I like, right? Alteries have a certain strength and weakness that I like. I don't want to cover what's the strength of this because I don't want lawsuit. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Python, Python and R also have a certain strength and weakness. I, I have not used R for quite some time, but I used to use R. So I will dare say that if you are a Python um, user, there is no stopping you for going into looking at R. Mm -hmm. If you are an R user, there's no stopping you of looking at Python because on different situations, you might actually fall on either of the tools itself. Hmm. Yeah. So so for, for authorities, I like authorities is because if I actually have 200 draft models to look at, I can actually say, oh, Visually, I look at model number one, number thirty-three, and number um, maybe one hundred. To actually look it, look at it, and then further enhance it and see what happens. Right? If I were to do it in the SPSS or Python, I can't do it. I would be looking at codes, and it makes looking selecting models maybe say uh, slightly challenging or three a.m. or five a.m. in the morning. <laughs> right? I can imagine so, going. So, Back and forth, and exhausting. Yeah. So, so then, then it's a personal preference. And but then, ultimately, when when you're looking at the code itself, be prepared to answer this question before you even type the first line. Okay. What are you doing? What are you right? Doing? That's 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 actually mm -hmm. one young data scientist who come to me. That Jared, I actually do a machine learning model using neural network. Very cool. And then he says that. He uses conditional probability as a predictor, right? Mm -hmm. And then put inside neural network to, to run. I say there's no wrong with it, but what is the direction of your model going? What is it trying to solve? He said, well, you are not a data scientist, so you don't know. So I present myself, I'm a data scientist of 10 plus years experience. Can I know again, ask you the question again, 
why use conditional probability as a predictor to answer a dependent variable? And what kind of direction are you going? He can't answer me. He just said, oh, it's because it's cool. I use neural network. Then I asked him, do you have issue explaining this to your manager? Then he was amazed. He said, wow, Jerry, how do you know that I have issue explaining things to my manager? I said, well, yeah. it's normal. If I as a data scientist don't know your direction, and you as your data scientist, you don't know your direction, no one will know. <laughs> right? No, I mean, no, it makes perfect sense. How do you, I think, I think in any, you know, in any facet of business, you have to be able to explain the product that you're selling yeah. um, and yeah. how it's going to benefit the person that's buying it or the entity that's buying it. So I think, no, it's a very important skill that you touch on. And it, it also relates to, to the following question. I mean, you know, in, in your opinion for, for data science, is there any, you know, major innovative point or maybe inflection point in data science that you can, you can pinpoint um, throughout your experience that has been, you know, the, the most beneficial to the business world? Um, is there any function that, that, you know, machine learning or AI has, has developed over the last decade um, that has been especially useful within the business world? At the moment, from what I actually see is uh, using maybe say and uh no uh, human being shop the kind of automated shops mm -hmm. yeah that amazon has actually had done that is you walk in you take a product and then you leave this is actually very convenient to people and from what i actually observe for the data science itself it it all works about how convenient your product is mm -hmm. to actually make it easy adoption for people so if it's actually very very easy to use like not this one, this one is not easy to use, but this one, right? That is if I present this to a shop holder, a branch manager, and say that, uh, do you understand that you're targeting corners and high spender, and these are the group of people you're targeting? They say, yeah, it's so easy. And you can actually download the data, easily show as a data point. I can't show each here, but you show at the data point, you can easily make a call to these people. Yeah, done. Just like that, yeah? So that's why I say that it's about convenient. There's also another product that is very interesting that is they use for people who are handicapped in, uh, in speech and, and, uh, and hearing. They have this glove where it's a sign and then they can easily communicate with people that doesn't know sign language. Oh, interesting. That's, that's also easy adoption by, by people. And, 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 and yes, there's computer vision, there's uh, vocal uh, signs, right? But then this is incorporating into the back-end usage of it. But the front-end usage of it is so easy to adopt. Make sense? Yeah. 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 So data science have five disciplines at the moment. You can't run away from it. Numeric, text, image, video, vocal. Five of them. And so throughout you our life... One more time? Sorry, I didn't catch that. Vocal. Oh, okay. Vocal. Right? You can't run away from this one. Vocal, yeah. CV, big speed. Vocal involves vocal plus text for CV and Bixby. Mm -hmm. Although they, 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 if, if, a, if a data scientist comes to you, hey, would you actually like to use vocal plus text? I can help you, right? But you actually, why do I use vocal plus text? Is it, is it, is it actually trying to watch me from back end? But then if I present it as a, as a product, CV, Bixby, incorporate into the phone, make a line easy, you're actually using vocal signs and tech science without knowing it yeah 
you use YouTube, right? So someone actually said, Jared, uh, data science is too complex. I will not touch it. But then the next question I asked the person is, do you use YouTube? I said, yeah, of course I use YouTube. Amazing software. I said, okay. Do you know that YouTube has recommended for you next? And do you know that that's actually literally data science? You use it every day, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no. So, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. So, so that's why adoption must be on face front. Mm -hmm. The back end is on what the person don't need to know. So this is actually the layman explanation, the layman upfront, and this is the back end, which the layman will not see. If anyone is interested to see, I, I, can, I can share with the manager, the client manager, mm -hmm. but I think the client manager of course, we talk about down the road. He will say, show, show me the money, right? Show me the money. And then it did happen, all right? So, so they actually did a shop that is, uh, that, that is to run my machine learning model called DSS Custom Observer. Mm. And then this is actually not just making my client happy, it's making the customer of the client happy. He says, my husband and girls arrive at the styling session. And then this styling boutique actually is different uh, because they actually go with your own wardrobe, you can mix and match with the clothes. And then uh, she likes it because it's a different look and they highly recommend it and they'll be back. Mm -hmm. Why? Because my machine learning model know that it is this person and then this is the product that she has and then why is actually the next product we sell to her. Yeah. 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 It's clear. It's yeah, it's, it's very clear. It's a yeah. very clear. And the designer know how to use it as well. Yeah. The designer know, oh, I should sell her a bracelet. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> wow. So, no. so this is uh, this is that, and then the coding one. Maybe I just show a bit of coding for fun, right? Yeah, okay. sure. I just want to say, Jared, we are we are uh, running a little low on time. So, yeah, I was running actually going to ask okay. if, if you would be able to um, show us the coding models that you wanted to demonstrate, just so we can. Okay, I'll just show something that. that is uh, that is actually behind. Uh, allow me to maybe also to show a bit about my company. Yeah, right? absolutely. A absolutely. bit of my company. So uh, my company is DSS uh, uh, Direct Sourcing Solution. Mm -hmm. And that's actually my people. That's my CEO, uh, Brian. And, and then we have various offices, right? And then we have around like 500 over uh, staff. And we even have an office that is looking like that and a company nurse. Yes, we have a clinic in the office. <laughs> that, that's how huge we are. And, and then uh, that's actually me, 16 years of experience. And then that's actually me doing the, uh, some of the projects over the past few years. I'm never on GitHub or uh, Kaggle. It's because mm. specifically I touch sensitive data from MinDev, uh, military data, and, and government data. So I don't dare to be on GitHub. I don't want to have people appearing on my door and say, Jerry, sorry, I, I, you're arrested today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's an unwelcoming surprise. <laughs> I'm worried on that one. So, well, that's that's that. Uh, that's about a bit about me and my company. And then I'm going to actually show something very uh, interesting. I'm just going to send, uh, show the end result, right? So the end result is this. This is this is SPSS. Everyone say that SPSS is lousy software. So, <laughs> so, so this is actually trying to say that this ID, the first default is gen, right? 
And this actually says that the first default month is Jen. This is for credit card. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when do you first default on your credit card? The second person default on, let's see, December. And this is marked as December. This code is, this actually, this data is the one that actually made me uh, found my first mentor. Now, this is actually a very interesting uh, um, problem. And also it highlights one point that is, so how are you going to approach this problem before you even start to do your first line of code? You see, mm -hmm. there's, there's no ending result here. But the end result is I want to find the first time the person default on a loan. So this is January, obviously. I don't want uh, March and April. I just want January. And then this is actually December, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to find the first ones across the uh, column itself. And during that time, uh, there's a lot of people who just say, oh, write various if statements. And you should be able to actually get the answer, right? But can you imagine the permutation of if statement you're going to get? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so then my mentor and me actually comes up with this solution. First, we convert everything to text, right? Mm -hmm. This is doable in Python, I believe in R as well, right? So this is, you can see, all is convert to text read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not actually going each statement, by the way. <laughs> so why do I actually convert numbers into text? Sounds funny, right? So next, I actually concat everything into one column, all right? And that's done. So that's actually the whole 12 months into one column. Mm -hmm. Now, this is actually where the magic happens. So after this is done, the next thing I do is find the first default month, which is to actually find the first one that is actually in this text column, index, or in Python is something else, right? So finding the first one, this is one, this is on position number 12, this is position zero, this is position two, and this is position number seven, right? So after this is done, the next thing I do is to actually just label it. So label it accordingly. So one is Jen, second is Pat, and then, and then I do a table. So this actually shows first defaulter, how much are they, who is clean, and all those things. That's all, right? So there are three cleans, eight default on Jan, one default on February, and there are 20 customers altogether. So basically, this is that one. This is the first default column. I don't need the rest of the column, so I basically just delete them away. And then that's where you actually end up with this as the final result. So this literally tells me that when is the first default of each customer. That's all. You make it yeah. seem so simple. <laughs> <laughs> this is not simple. I hadn't actually thought of it over lunchtime. Then I was like, oh, okay, I should use it like that. Then uh, another another guy who's actually my mentor now. Um, he's, he used to be the uh, prince, he used to be chief or principal uh, uh, software engineer of of a very major company, uh, mm -hmm. so basically, uh, so he, he come up with a looping way. I come up with a straight direct coding that I pass it to the person. Last time, there's actually no tech, uh, tech stack or something, stack overflow, right? There's no, 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 Google, no, no proper channels of Googling for codes. And then we have this uh, uh, forum where it's linked to all statisticians globally. And that's actually where I pass the code to that person. Uh, so-called win that question, like 
<laughs> and I wrote a mentor from there. He likes my 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 solution. I like his solution, and say, why not we exchange ideas uh, uh, in times to come? He's actually a very very good Python R or whatever software that you make and think of. He knows it, and he's a very good statistician as well. He retired really, but then uh, he's a very good machine learning model uh, person as well. So so that's that's actually my luck there. I met good mentors along the, the way. And then, of course, uh, I don't actually go to them and ask for solution. I thought of the solution first before I asked them again, say, do you think that's, this does make sense? Then when they say, yes, it makes sense, then I will look at it again and see whether it's, it's possible to implement or not. So I, I, don't, I don't literally just go to people to ask for solution. I go and think about it. I don't Google for solution as well. Mm. This is not Googleable. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So when people, when, when, yeah, when they are data scientists who say, look, to be a data scientist, you just need to learn how to Google. That is actually a bit weird because the only thing that I Google during my work time is songs <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> then I start to quote and I don't understand why people say, you know, the way that to become a data scientist is to know how to Google when I don't even think this is Googleable. Right. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck typing that into the search engine. Oh my goodness. Oh man. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Well. No. It's 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 interesting, especially the notion of of kind of deriving your own solutions and then presenting those to whatever business team you're working with instead of um, kind of co coming with an open platter of you know how do we solve this problem? You're already preemptively. Um, trying to engage with the ideas that you come up with uh, and the models that you're building. And I think that that's just in general something very important um, for people to consider, who, anyone who wants to work in business. I mean, I think having or, you know, work with businesses, I think having that mindset um, and being able to derive your own preemptive solutions and evaluate them um, and then implement them and then start working with people to see how, you know, how, how effective they are. Um, that seems like something, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it, it seems like something that's very, very important, especially within the business sphere um, and, and life in general. Uh, but yeah, no, either, either way, thank you so much for joining us today, Jared. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, once again, Jared is the Chief Technology Officer at Direct Sourcing Solutions. That is his company, and uh, they're doing some phenomenal work. Uh, feel free to check their website out. If you want to, would you like to plug your, uh, your company's website, Jared? My company website. Yeah. Here we go. This is the, let me just, yes, that's Asia. That's actually my company website. Yeah. Okay, perfect. This is Direct Sourcing Solution. And then you can, we do have a little blog as well on uh, data science as well. Uh, and, and these are actually some of the things that we write here. Plus, this is actually the services that we do. Other than data science, we do digital marketing okay. and analytics as well. Awesome. That's actually our company. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad we got a little preview here. And uh, thank you so much for, for talking with me about it and, and giving me a little bit more insight into the world of data science. I'm sure our viewers will will deeply appreciate that. And on that note, unfortunately, we're going to have to close up today's interview. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of uh, AI for Business at AITJ. And uh, thank you again, Jared, for being kind enough to, kind enough to provide us with uh, all your valuable knowledge. Um, yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure once again. 
If you yeah. like this episode and would like to learn more, uh, please visit us at aitimejournal.com where you will be able to find plenty more podcast episodes um, as well as articles covering a wide range of issues in AI and exponential technologies. Thank you so much. Thank you.